Thank you, Tam. Good morning, everyone. Great to be together. Hey, uh, some uh, encouraging news. When I shot that video a week and a half ago, we had $33,000 in the fund. Uh, Dave Gascoigne said something last week, which is, oh, maybe it's prophetic. Well, maybe it was because uh, now we've got $48,000 in the fund. So uh, we are just thankful to God for the way in which people are responding as well too. Hey, have you ever found yourself waiting around for something or for something to happen? I know I have, uh, and probably we all have as well too. You know, one of the things that I'm currently waiting with a great sense of anticipation and expectation upon is my upcoming long service leave. Now, I'm so excited about that that I, put, uh, I, I even put a countdown widget on my phone that kind of tells me, you know, uh, how much time that I've got left. And so I kind of keep looking at this from time to time, having a bit of a look at where things are at. And do you know what? It uh, tells me how many, well, it, did, it was telling me how many months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, seconds. And I just thought I'd give you an update this morning, just because I thought you'd be excited as well too. So if I kind of bring it back out to where it is, I've got, oh, here we go, I've got... Five weeks, I've got to bring it down here because I have my glasses on. Uh, five, five weeks, four days, 12 hours, 58 minutes, and 20, 19, 18 seconds. It's exciting, isn't it? Now, I could, even with my app right here, I can really, like if I'm sitting around, I'm a bit bored, I can even move it to uh, how many hours I've got. I've got 948 hours and 58 minutes. And if I move it to day, no, minutes, it's 56,938 minutes. And if I take it out to the seconds, you want to know what it is? It is 3,416,271, oops, no, 70 and 69 seconds. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm looking forward to being gone for the months of September, October, and November. I am very confident that our church, we've prepared, we've been doing lots of preparation around all of this, and that the church is going to be in good hands. In fact, you might get to the end of it and go, you know what, Dave, who? We actually don't need him at all. We're actually doing really well. Do you know what? I'm waiting with anticipation around being away and having some leave. You know, my long service leave, I was meant to take it in 2019, Julie got sick, we thought 2020, well, that didn't happen, did it, in 2021, and 2022, we're still recovering, so we're kind of, we're looking forward to it. Do you know what, we're all looking forward to different things, aren't we, things that we're anticipating or we, we get excited about. Yeah, you know, there might be here in this room or someone watching online right now, maybe you're a year 12 student, and, and there is this sense that 12 years of study is all coming to an end, and you can't wait to be, you know, to be done with your books and uh, maybe not do any more study ever again for some of you. Or for those of you who have been at uni uh, and, uh, you know, four years, it's going to come and it's about to go and you're at the end, you're about to graduate and there is this sense of anticipation. You're waiting for this brand new job that's about to unleash for you. Or maybe it's the groom who's awaiting the arrival of his bride. You know, yesterday I was over at the uh, Eagle Hawk campus for the wedding of Antonio and Audrey, and there is this sense of I'm watching Antonio as the doors swing open, and there comes Audrey down the aisle, and just this sense of anticipation, this moment, it's finally here. Or to the parents in this room, remember when you were waiting for your first child? You know, uh, ladies, that nine months probably couldn't have come and gone fast enough for you, but there is this sense of, of build-up, you, you know, it, it's... You're not quite sure what it's going to be like to be a parent, but you're kind of, you've done the ultrasound and you're buying things and the room is being painted and you are kind of counting down. 
There's no idea when it's going to come, but you kind of get a sense that it's going to happen within nine months. It's not going to go for 12 or 13, but it's coming. Or there are others of us in this room that uh, have just moved into the golden years of retirement. And finally, now you can enter the ski club. It's that club that says spending kids inheritance. And you are enjoying that. Now, if you are here in this room and you're online and you're a part of that and you think, I'm not sure what to do with my money, come and speak to me and I'll make sure we put some towards the church planning and renewal fund, okay? Or for those that are, that are followers of Jesus, you know what? There is this sense, isn't it, that we are waiting for the imminent return, the second coming of Jesus. He's already come once. He's coming again. We're not quite sure when that's going to be. He didn't give us a countdown widget for our smartphone. He just said that my return is imminent. We're all waiting for something. In fact, you know what? We're no different. There was a group of people in ancient Israel who were waiting on gift for the promise of his Holy Spirit. They too, they didn't have a countdown widget. You know, uh, Jesus had been with them for 40 days and then he had ascended into heaven and he had just told them in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to go back into the city of Jerusalem and to wait. And so what did they do? Wait, they did. And we pick up the story today in Acts chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, in this new series we've entitled Whatever It Takes. Because as we look at... uh, the example of these early believers, and as we follow it through some of these early chapters of the book of Acts, there is no doubt that they were empowered to live with this bold, unwavering, whatever it takes faith. But it didn't kind of come up out of their own self. It came up out of this promised gift that God said he was going to give to them. And they waited. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1, the story begins uh, with this, uh, by Luke saying, well, you know, he begins by saying, on the day of Pentecost. Now, what were they doing while they were waiting? That's an interesting one, isn't it? You know, uh, Luke doesn't tell us too much, but we know that they gathered together regularly for prayer. And uh, in that space, they were, you know, they were kind of sharing in the same heart, the same love for God, and this same hope and this promised gift. And it's in this space. And Luke says to us in verse 1, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, how big was this place? Well, we don't really know. It might have been a house with a few different rooms. We're talking about the disciples and maybe no more than a hundred other people that were kind of moving in and out of this period of time. And on this day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. Now, what was Pentecost? It's not something we talk about a lot, is it? But Pentecost was an important event in the nation of Israel that was also known as the Feast of Weeks. If you, this is kind of a little homework for you later on, you know, start Googling festivals or feasts uh, or different things that happened in ancient Israel that they still do today. And you will find that there were all these different things that God asked them to do. Well, the fe- with the Feast of Weeks, it happened uh, 50 days after the Passover feast. So you can just kind of picture Jesus was there at the Passover. He was around for another 40 days. He then ascended back into heaven. And 10 days later, so 50 days had gone, they're now gathered together on Pentecost and they are celebrating the Feast of Weeks. This feast was one of the harvest feasts of which all Jewish males were required to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. Can you imagine if... Uh, I had a, or we said here at Bendigo Baptist, hey, there are going to be some designated events that you can't get out of. 
You know, you can't kind of schedule another family event, but you're all required to be at that. Do you imagine how big this room would be or how many people would be in this room? Well, the city of Jerusalem was swollen still with all these men or people that had gathered to celebrate the Festival of Weeks. Festival of Weeks happened exactly seven weeks after Passover and seven weeks to the day was 50 days. And so that word Pentecost, it's a Greek word, which means 50 and here they were all together in this room when Luke suddenly says or describes what happens in verse 3. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and the skies above them and it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Let's just pause there for a moment. Now, we've got to understand that uh, in Jewish tradition, uh, they'd always associated fire and wind with the presence of God. So in one sense, this didn't kind of capture them by surprise. It may not have been a regular experience for them, but in that moment, they suddenly knew that they were standing in the presence or a powerful manifestation of the presence of God. And Luke says that this small group of believers began suddenly speaking in other tongues or what we might call foreign languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, I think it's fair to say that in this moment, this, this, this wasn't a regular occurrence right there in the city of Jerusalem, and so this caused quite a stir. A crowd quickly gathers, and, uh, and they were attracted either by the noise that they were hearing, uh, whether it be the, the wind, the rushing wind, or whether it was all these languages that were being spoken in this moment. And as they gathered, they heard this group of early believers speaking in their own native or foreign language. And Luke says, they were completely amazed. How can this be? We've traveled from all these distances. Look what he says. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we are hearing them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They said to each other. Uh, this is remarkable. You know, here we are. I mean, this is a, God can only do this. You know, you know, the other day I was, no, I won't go there. Uh, I don't have time for this. You know, you know it's God in, in his sovereignty and the way in which he works is just really quite marvelous. Seven full weeks to the day, 50 days after the Passover. At this festival of weeks when you've got men and women from all over the place gathering right there in the city of Jerusalem, God turns up in a very powerful way and he deposits, he pours out the gift of his Holy Spirit. In one sense, this event was nothing more than a reversal of the curse of Babel. All the way back in the book of Genesis. And it spoke directly to the hearts of this people about the wonderful works of God. Now yet, despite this miraculous event, of which it was, despite this, there was a group of people there that uh, were unsettled by this phenomenon and, and they began to make fun of it. Exclaiming that this group of people at this hour of the morning, look, they're drunk. You know, it's kind of what we do, isn't it? When we feel uncomfortable or unsettled about something, 
Uh, we're not too sure of what's kind of going on, and so our natural tendency is to make light of it or to mock that situation. Well, this, this is what this group of people were doing. And what happens next in this story is really quite remarkable. And time doesn't allow us to dig into all these things, but I want to kind of just kind of keep us moving through. But what happens next is really quite remarkable. When, when, if you know the story, it says in uh, verse 14, Luke tells us that Peter, he stepped forward with the other 11 apostles and he shouted to the crowds. Is this the same Peter that some 50 days ago had, had actually been denying Jesus as his own Lord and Savior? Yes, it is. You know, what transpired in that garden of Gethsemane is now suddenly very different to this moment. And, and Peter steps forward as a herald. Yeah, what's the difference? You know, it's the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in his life. The Spirit has come, has been poured out upon his life, and that's what makes the difference. And, and on this day of Pentecost, Peter now begins to proclaim the truth about Jesus like a herald. You know, we, we don't have it today, but, uh, and I'm not quite old enough, it's what I've heard but if you lived in the streets of Melbourne or you were working in Melbourne in that CBD area and you were either heading to work or you were coming home from work and you were about to get on the train, there would be paper boys that would be handing out things like the Herald Sun. We called, you know, and they would yell out, get your paper, get your paper, Herald, breaking news. It doesn't quite happen today because most people have it on their tablet or their device, don't they? Uh, but... In one sense, that's exactly what Peter is doing. He is trumpeting, he is heralding this good news about Jesus. And this is what he says in verse 14 through 17. He says, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is way, is, is way too much early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. In essence, what Peter is saying in this moment is, you know what? You're mocking this. You're making fun of this. You know what? Let's have a Bible study together. Let's go back and dig through God's word and see what God's word has to say about the event that's kind of happening right here in this exact moment. And so he takes them back into the book of Joel. Now, if you know the Old Testament book of Joel, this prophet of God uh, had the tough job of really pronouncing not a blessing, but really God's judgment upon the nation of Israel. But interspersed through some of his writings were God's future blessings that would come upon Israel, and one of them was the coming of the Spirit. And so using this reference, Peter explains to this curious group of onlookers what they were suddenly witnessing. You see, before this day, the Spirit of God had only been given in drops at certain times and in certain ways to certain people for certain tasks. Pastor Trina mentioned that just last week. That was the way in which the Spirit of God moved in the Old Testament. But in the book of Joel, Joel kind of uh, prophesies and it speaks to what's going to happen in the future, that the Spirit would no longer just be given out in drops, but the Spirit of God would be poured out. You know what that picture looks like. It's like at your house when you've got a dripping tap. Drip, drip, 
drip. That's kind of the image that Joel's kind of giving to us, that the Spirit of God is no longer just going to be given out in drops, but He will be poured out. Imagine a big jug of water that's just pouring, that doesn't stop. He will be poured out upon all people, not just Jewish people, but Gentile people. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God will be poured out over their life. He says to this group of people, this is what's just taken place. Shouldn't be surprised. It's what the prophet Joel spoke about. And then what Peter does is he begins to direct the attention of this crowd of people uh, towards the resurrected Christ. And that's a, this is a great example for us because it's never about us. It's never about what God might be doing in a honey. It's never about Bendigo Baptist Church and how great we are 170 years on. It always has to be about the resurrected Christ. It's because of the resurrected Christ that uh, there is something happening here in the life of this church 170 years on. And so Peter says to them in verse 22, once again, he uses the word listen. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. What's he doing? He's using uh, the power of personal testimony to prove the veracity of Jesus. He goes on, he says, in essence, he's saying, you saw it with your own eyes. You were witnesses to the powerful works of Jesus. You have seen his mighty works. And then in verse 23, but God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not hold him in his grip. What's he saying? Peter is saying that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historical fact. There is no escaping that. You might want to mock this in this moment, but the prophet Joel spoke about this. God knew what was going to happen. And you can't escape the fact that you are eyewitnesses to all that's transpired around you. And then in verse 33, And because of his resurrection, the Father, as he had promised, gave him, being Jesus, the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. As you see and you hear today. He's just speaking about the resurrected Jesus. And then having said all of that, Peter then presents his audience with the good news in a rather interesting way. In verse 36, he says, So let everyone in Israel, let all of you here in front of me right now, let all of Israel hear all of this. Let them know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a gutsy statement. Let all of Israel, let all of you people know that this Jesus whom you crucified. It's nearly like Peter's kind of signing up his own death warrant here, right, isn't he? He's making this kind of statement. To be both Lord and Messiah. Now, was Peter saying that they'd actually crucified Jesus? No. But what he is saying is that by being here and being party to all that's gone on that they had a part to play in all of this and he's wanting them to understand that uh, just the gravity of this to understand that they may not have nailed him to the cross but in one sense it was as good as if they had done that 
Now, Tim Keller, who uh, is probably one of the greatest theologians in this past century, who just died recently, kind of made a statement about this. He said, uh, yeah, this is part of the gospel message for every human being. And until we see that our sins cost Jesus his life, that we were the cause of his death, we're not going to be cut to the heart. And the, and the truth of Peter's words in this situation here as he talked actually had that effect. It pierced their hearts and suddenly this group say to Peter and to the apostles, you know, what is it that we must do? It's a beautiful example of the, of the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the Holy Spirit does a, a number of different things in our life. But one of the key things he does is he convicts mankind around the truth of God's word. And in this moment, as the word of God is going out, as Peter is speaking about this, the Holy Spirit falls upon the lives of these people, convicting them. And they suddenly say, well, what is it that we must do? To which Peter responded. And he said to them, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, and to all, to, upon all who have been called by the name of the Lord, by the Lord our God. And, and the response is nothing short of miraculous. A simple testimony, fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, suddenly brings about this amazing harvest of souls. And Luke says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 people in all. Amazing, isn't it? Incredible story. You know, if you've never read the book of Acts before, you're only a new believer, then I encourage you to, to read it from beginning to end. To, to think deeply about uh, this bold, unwavering, whatever it takes faith that characterized this group of people that didn't come about because of their own self power. It comes because of this empowering, this falling of the Holy Spirit that fell upon their lives at Pentecost. Now, maybe you've heard the story before many times. And you're kind of coming back to it again. And you're reading it. And I think one of the things, every time we open up God's Word, is we've got to say, God, what is it that you're wanting to say to me? Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to show me or say to me as I, as, as I think about your words? And so the same is true in this, as we kind of think about Acts chapter 2. So much that we could dig around in and look at and explore. And I, I'm going to encourage you to do that in your own time and even in your own life group this coming week. But what is it that we can take out of that? And let me just share with you three things. Three points of application. They're not the only points of application, but I think three really important points. And, and the first one is this, if you're taking notes. You see, as we Listen to this story as we read this story. You know, maybe there are some of us who need to respond today to the good news of Jesus. You might be here in this room, you might be watching online, and suddenly you're now hearing about uh, the truth of Jesus Christ like you've never heard before, and so you are being called to respond. You see, when this group of people realized who Jesus Christ was and what they had done and the part that they had played in all of that, they responded by saying to the apostles and to Peter, brothers, 
what is it that we must do? I think that's a really important response. You know, Peter must have been pleasantly surprised in this moment. It's every preacher's dream, isn't it? You, you, you uh, open up God's Word, you preach and you say something and, you know, one of the best things that anybody could ever do for me, uh, a room full of people and online would be to say, Dave, what is it that we must do? Well, that's what's happening in this space. And you know what? As you read this story, Peter actually gave him something to do. You see it right there towards the, the very end of this story that he began to give them some instructions. Now, I want to say this before I dive into this. You know, while it's very true, it, it is absolutely true that it is the Spirit of God that's at work in people's lives and He is the one who draws people, convicts them of their sin and does the saving work. You know, it's obvious by Peter's instructions that we also must do something if we want to embrace the good news about Jesus. And the very first thing that Peter calls them to do is to repent. That's what he calls them to do. Now, this idea of repentance is a bit of a harsh word, isn't it? No one likes to be told to repent of something. Uh, you know, we're okay with maybe saying, I'm sorry about something, but to repent, uh, that's indicative of a much deeper work that's got to go, go on in somebody's life in that moment. Because what does the word repent mean? It means to change one's attitudes. It means to change your thinking about something. It means to go in a completely different direction. And in essence, this is what Peter is saying to this group of people. The crowd had previously thought a certain way about Jesus and they possibly considered him worthy of crucifixion. But now they must change their mind about who he was and embrace him as their own Lord and Saviour. And so maybe the question that I've got today that's rhetorical for you here or online is, that do you need to repent and to embrace Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Saviour? You know, repentance must never be thought of something that we must do before we can come to God. In essence, really, maybe what you could say is repentance simply describes what coming to God looks like. And you can't turn to God without turning away from the things that He is against. So I ask you, do you need to repent and to embrace Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Saviour? Is that the thing that you need to do today? Is that the thing that the Holy Spirit is prompting and convicting you in your life that that is the thing you've got to do? Because if that's, if that's what you're feeling prompted to do, then the other applications are nearly in one sense superfluous to you today because that is the most important thing. But if you've already done that, in this story, Peter actually then gives this group of people a, a second thing to do. Uh, you, you see it really quite clearly here. You know, they've, you know, if you're taking this step of repentance, and maybe that's true for some of us, and we've given our heart to Jesus, what's the next thing? Well, maybe for some of us, it's actually going through the waters of baptism. It's actually stepping up and saying, you know what? Yep, there is a moment. I've never done this publicly, but it's time for me to publicly declare my love and my allegiance for Jesus. And that's what I need to do. Now, why would Jesus tell them to get baptized? Well, I want to be really clear today, this act of baptism does not save us in any way. There's nothing special in that water. But what this act of baptism does is that it is a public expression of our willingness to identify our lives with Christ. With Christ and with his finished work on that cross at Calvary. And in that sense, a decision to be baptized, become, it's like a marking point. 
It's like a, a line in the sand. It's a moment where we say, you know what? I've already made that decision. My life has been transformed, but I want to tell other people of whom I'm connected to. It's like uh, on ships where they run the colours up the mast to, to signal or to, to explain uh, as they're coming into a port. You know, those flags, they, they explain something very significant about that ship. Well, in a similar way, when we get baptised, it is a running up of the mast. It, it is a uh, kind of, a, it, it, we're putting our colours to the mast. And we're identifying ourselves and we're saying, you know what, this is who I am. And this is how I'm going to live. I have given my life to Jesus. And maybe some of us need to repent and others of us are in that space where say, as I'm hearing the word of God and the thing that I need to do in my life is that I need to be baptized. But there's one last point in this, and it's in this application that I think is wrapped up around the empowering of God's Holy Spirit that kind of falls in that moment of Pentecost. See, when the Spirit came at Pentecost, it changed everything. And there was a dynamic that fell upon this small group of believers that suddenly empowered them to live with a bold, unwavering, whatever-it-takes faith. You see it clearly in the Scripture. And this dynamic that commenced at Pentecost is seen right, at, right throughout the book of Acts, and, and uh, it still continues to this day. God never intended it just be, to be for this group of people at that point in time. And when you got to the end of the book, it kind of stops. In one sense, you could say today that the book of Acts is like an open book. Whilst I'm not espousing that we're still writing scripture here, but in one sense, as we think about that book being an open book, as we follow Jesus today, we continue to, to live, to walk and to move in the power of his Holy Spirit. It's the way God intended it to be. And yet, I sometimes wonder if the reality of this dynamic is still, uh, whilst it's present for us today and it's still to be realized for today, that it seems to be sorely missing at different times in the life of the body of Christ. Now, why is that? And I realize that as I kind of pose that question that maybe we've got all kinds of our own thoughts and reasons around why that might be. Now, let, let, you, let, me, let me give you my opinion on this, okay? And it is just my opinion. This is not being based in Scripture in this moment, but uh, this is my opinion based off the teaching of God's Word and what goes on in the book of Acts. And so if you disagree with me, that's fine. You're just wrong and I'm right. But why, why, does it, why does it seem, why does this same empowerment that was obvious early, early in the book of Acts, that kind of flowed throughout the book of Acts in the lives of believers, why does it appear to be at times strangely absent from the lives of those of us who follow Jesus today? You know, we've repented, we've been baptized, you know, and, and we just feel like, God, I just don't seem to have your empowerment. You know, why is that? I think it's really, it's quite simple. And I think you can see this in Scripture as well too. See, my simple answer into all of this is that somewhere in all of that that we've gotten away from or we've moved away from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to embrace the power of living for self or the power of self. You know, what, what's the power of self? Say, so, you know what, that's okay. You know what, I've kind of made that decision, but you know what, <laughs> I've got the driving wheel here. 
I'm in control. And so uh, I'm going to kind of go where I think we should go. And uh, God, I'm going to ask you, God, would you kind of you know, bless what I'm doing over here? In, in essence, it's like we've got the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have us, if I can kind of put it in that kind of language. You know, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is no doubt that we are, that we are sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is uh, uh, evidence the fact that we've been adopted into the family of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. All of that. But I think, uh, and whether it's just part of what's happened to us in the West uh, 2,000 years on, you, know, you see some people, don't you, that seem to really move in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they have a sense of God leading them and guiding them, speaking to them. And yet other people will say, you know what, I don't get any of that for my life. And why is that the case? Well, I think sometimes for some of us, it's because we've gotten away from the power of the Spirit and, and, and instead we've, we've replaced it and embraced the power of self or, or living according to self. And maybe, just maybe for some of us today, there, there is this moment where we, as we think about this story, it's... We are being convicted and challenged by the fact that uh, there is a sense of us needing to give up control of our lives a little bit and, and, and to surrender uh, our lives to the work and the empowerment of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I need the daily empowerment of God's Holy Spirit for living and doing life. And the minute we start trying to do life according to our own power and do it in our own way, do you know what I want to say? That is a... That is a, uh, a road that's going to quickly take us to a place of just burnout and feeling discouraged and disillusioned as a follower of Jesus. Because we're going to keep coming up short. Or we keep trying to do things in our own strength. So daily I say, Lord, you know, I need your strength today. I need your empowerment for the things that you are calling me to do. And then I kind of step into that space. You know what, every time I speak, there is a sense of me, whether it's in a car as I'm driving or as, as I'm kind of stepping up to a pulpit or as I open my notes, there is this prayer that I throw up and I say, Lord, your word tells me that it's not by might nor by my own power, but it is by your spirit, Lord. And so would you move through me in this situation? That's what it looks like to live and walk in the power of the spirits. And I tell you what, I need that in my life. You know, men, if we are going to be the kind of husbands that our wives need us to be, then we're going to need to walk daily in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Women, if you're going to be the wives that your husbands need to be, then you are going to need to do the same thing. For those of us that maybe are here or online and you are single, then a commitment to, to purity and devotion to God is going to entail that you walk in the power of the Spirit's. Marriages, if they're going to flourish, need the empowerment of the Spirit. If you're going to be excellent parents, do you know what? Yeah, you can read a few books and you can learn a few things, but unless you walk in the empowering of the Spirit of God for your life, then there's going to be, it doesn't mean you're not going to have frustrations anymore, but it's, it's in that empowerment. And if we're going to be about the work of God, then we need the power of God for the work of God. Part of the challenge is I really believe this, and I've seen it in my own life over, over many different years, and I'm just getting older and a bit more mature now, is I see it in the church. 
You know, we, we get on with what we do and it's about our clever strategies and it's about our new programs. Not that programs are wrong, uh, but, you know, we kind of bring all this effort and energy into doing something new because we think that's what's going to get people. And it's as if uh, there's no power in any of that. And we just spin our wheels. God told these 11 disciples and this small group of believers to wait. To wait for the empowerment of his spirit. And it changed everything. You know, this came home to me the other day as I was driving in my car. I've got a few minutes here. Tell the story. Uh, as I was driving in my car and I'm listening to Life FM and I'm kind of enjoying singing along. Good thing you weren't in the car, but I'm singing along to one of my favorite uh, Christian songs there and just enjoying that moment. Sometimes it might be I've got the secular station on as well too. There's a classic song from the 80s or the 90s. But, but this week uh, I was on Life FM uh, and as I'm driving, suddenly my song began to fade in and out. Ah, you know what dawned on me? I'm moving away from the station, aren't I? See, it's only a five kilowatt station. It's not super powerful. You know, if you drive towards Melbourne, you go over a big hill, what happens is it's the same station as Triple M coming out of Melbourne. It's a powerful station. And so uh, you start moving that direction and suddenly Life FM gets swallowed up by a bigger station down in Melbourne. But the point was, as I was driving away from where the antenna was, where the power, where it was being transmitted from, the, the song began to go in and out. And it suddenly dawned on me. It was like God gave me this, this beautiful picture. It was an inspiration for a message today. It says, you know what? That's what happens when you don't walk in step with the spirits. Or, or when you don't cultivate this deep abiding relationship with my son, Jesus Christ, uh, you, you, you're not in step. And so uh, there, is, there, is, there is kind of like the, the power doesn't flow. You're not kind of living and walking uh, in the empowering of the spirits. You know, turn the car around, drive back towards the station. The song comes in strongly. strongly. And I, I just, I thought, you know what? That is a word for us. Because maybe for some of us here in this room, we've already repented and we've gotten baptized. But for some of us, it's about we're kind of doing the Christian journey according to self. And we're driving it our own way. Yeah, we're here. We're kind of doing the Bible study thing. But you know what? Really, ultimately, we're still in control. You know, how's your abiding relationship with Christ today? Because that will give you some indication of how much you are in step with the Spirit of God. Spirit wants to lead you, guide you, speak to you through his word. Uh, all of those things being at play, it's the empowerment of the spirits to equip you for different things. You know, Peter didn't sit around thinking about a, a two and a half thousand word message that he was going to give in that moment. He just stepped forward and he boldly said, listen to me. And it just started pouring out of his mouth. Now, for some of you, that just freaks you out. You think, oh, that's just not me. And I'm not saying that that is what's going to be you as well too. God was undoubtedly working through Peter and his unique personality in the way in which he functions. But could you imagine the difference if you surrendered control of your life and said, Holy Spirit, you know what? I want to yield my life to you. To move where you want me to move. To say what you want me to say. To be who you want me to be. You know, it might be as simple as, you know, I'm just feeling prompted right now to give a person a call. 
And so you get on the phone, you call that person, and, and, and you know what? It was just the right thing. You know, that is the, the prompt, that is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that everybody's got to get up and preach a message or become an evangelist or uh, you know, travel to the other side of the globe. It's just a surrendering of our life to say, God, you know what? You've given me your, the, the gift of your Holy Spirit, and, and I want to be in step with your Spirit today. You know, what's God calling you to do today? You know, as our team kind of comes back to the platform right now, you know, what is it? You know, that, that, this is what this group of believers, they said, brothers, what is it that you are calling us to do? And so I've got to put it back out there to all of us today and say, you know, well, what is it? You know, if I'm being true to God's word, we open up God's word. Every time we open up God's word, the spirit of God will want to speak to us. will want to talk to us. And maybe for some of us right now, it's a decision. It's just, you, you know you've got to repent. And you've got to change your thinking, change your ways, because you're not a friend of Jesus. And you realize that he's died for your sins and you were a participant in him being nailed to that cross. And today, you need to embrace him as your own Lord and Savior. Is that you today? Because maybe that's the step, that's the thing that you've got to do. Or maybe for others of in this room, you know, you've made that decision, but you've never been baptized. You know, it's interesting that, do you know what? Baptism was good enough for Jesus. He said to go into all the world, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. He ascends back into heaven. And what's Peter do? He says, repent and be baptized. You know, if you've never been baptized, then I'm encouraged that maybe that is the next step for you in your journey with Jesus. But if you've done all of those things, maybe for some of us as we sit here today or as we listen, the conviction for us is that uh, if we're honest, there's a lot of us kind of doing the self thing. We're in control. And we're living life according to ourself rather than to the empowerment of God's spirit that's been deposited into our lives. And today it's a, it's a yielding to that. It's a giving back over and saying, Jesus, today I surrender once again and I give you control of my life. You know, what's the decision that you need to make today? Would you join me as I pray? Father, as uh, we've heard your word spoken today, we acknowledge that you are a really good God. And God, we thank you that what you promised through the Old Testament prophets, that you brought it to fruition. And Lord, we thank you that you're not just giving your spirit out in drips, but you have poured it out now upon all people who call upon your name. God, we thank you. You are so, so good. And God, I thank you that right now here in this room, uh, I truly believe that your spirit is at work in the hearts of people. And maybe for some, you are calling them to repent. God, I pray that your spirit would just keep nudging them in that direction, that they would make that decision. They'd realize right now their need of you because of the truth of who your son Jesus Christ is. Maybe for others it's around baptism. Or maybe still for others it's just around that place of saying, God, I actually, I, I, I realize I've been holding on to things and I give you control back once again. Father, however your spirit might be working this morning, we honor and we praise you today for just your incredible grace and mercy. We thank you, God, for the way in which you've been at work since that period of time, the way in which you've built your church. 
And Father, we thank you for the power that you've deposited into our lives to, to live the Christian life, to be on journey with you. God, you haven't lived us, left us on our own. God, help us to embrace all of that for our lives today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.